0: and seeing the thread of the gospel uh, throughout it. And, and so where we've been, we talked about creation at the beginning, uh, that all of humanity was created in the image of God. We talked a lot about God's original design for things, uh, that all of us were created in his image as people, uh, and that we were made to know God and to make him known. Then we talked about the fall, uh, how, how Adam and Eve uh, chose to go against what God asked them to do, and sin entered the world, and then there was brokenness, and, and everything was shattered at that point. And then the flood, and no one and his family being spared, and the rest of humanity, uh, because they were evil, were wiped out by the flood. And then Abraham, uh, we talked about Abraham, and that God promised to make a nation out of Abraham, and, and to make this group of people that he was going to use to reach the rest of the world. Uh, and then Abraham and Isaac specifically last Week talking about covenant and, and being having our faith tested, that God will test our faith, uh, and that, that true faith will produce obedience and action and not just talk, uh, but, but true faith will, will call us to action. And so that's where we've, we've been so far. And tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the story of Jacob and Esau. So as we keep moving through. Uh, this, we're in the book of Genesis still. book of Genesis is a, is a history book, uh, the history of the world, the earliest history of the world, and, and we've, we're going through the history uh, of mankind, and, and we're working through and uh, Moses is the one who wrote Genesis, uh, and again, like I said, we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau, and so where they fit in. Uh, Abraham had a son, Isaac, uh, again, which we talked about last week, and then Isaac, Uh, And his wife, Rebecca, had two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau. And so we're going to talk about their story. Again, three basic things when you're trying to study Scripture on your own, what I do every time uh, when I get ready for this, Uh, what any of you can do if you are wanting to dig into Scripture, wanting to study Scripture, wanting to know uh, what God's Word is saying, and you want to do that on your own, these three things. You go go to the Scripture, you observe it, you interpret it, and you apply it to your life. Um, observing is the longest part of that. It's just going through the text and looking at everything that's going on, the people that are involved, the who, what, when, where, why type of deal. Uh, just going through it and seeing what's happening. And so um, it's kind of a lengthy text to give you. We're going to be in two different spots, Genesis 25 and Genesis 27. So if you want to turn there, uh, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. Uh, Genesis 25. Genesis um, starting in verse 19 is where we'll be there, and then uh, Genesis 27, the whole, the whole chapter of Genesis 27. And so instead of just reading to you right now and having story time, uh, I don't know if you're like me, where if I can pick between a book or a movie version, usually I'll pick the movie. And so I have a little video version of Jacob and Esau for you tonight, okay, that gives you the story. Uh, so we're going to watch that first instead of me just reading to you. Okay. That was way more entertaining than me reading it to you, I think. Uh, so that's this is the story we're going to talk about tonight, and I'm going to pull three truths out of this story, okay, that I see when I, when I was studying this. Uh, so we're going to talk about three, three different truths that I see in here, uh, and try to apply that to your life as well, but I'll, but I'll show you where I got it from as we go through this. So truth number one, uh, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. For you note takers, it's on the screen. Uh, God always keeps his promises. So he promised from the beginning. If you go to Genesis 25, uh, starting in verse 19, it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, and of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Uh, the children snuggled, struggled together, not snuggled, that's different. Uh, this is actually the opposite, they struggled together, uh, within her. And she said, if, 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 it's, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went in, in, to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall, shall serve the younger. So in verse 23, this is Genesis 25, verse 23, it says, The older shall serve the younger. This is very first, when she first conceived, when she first uh, knows that she's going to have these kids, he, God tells her, because she, she goes to ask him, What's going on? Why are they wrestling inside of me like this? And he said, the older is going to serve the younger. This is his promise from the beginning. That the older Esau was going to serve the younger. And that's not how it usually worked uh, in those days. The older had the birthright, had the one, was the one that was in control. But God promised from the beginning, Jacob is going to be the one that gets the birthright and the one that leads. And then his older brother is going to serve him. So that was the plan from the beginning. That Jacob was going to get this blessing. And in the end, Jacob gets the blessing, right? So what God promised to happen, happens. He promised from the beginning Jacob would be the blessed one of the two brothers, and he he is. God's plans are always going to be fulfilled. We can never screw up his plans. Uh, So how does this affect you? Why does it matter for you? When, When I read this, when I read that truth, right, that seems really basic. God always keeps his promises, Well, think about how many people in your life don't keep their promises, right? How frustrating and how upsetting that is when you trust people and they promise you something and they don't deliver on that promise. God is not that way. Most people, all people are going to let you down. Not most people. All people are going to let you down. And they're going to break a promise at some point in your life. And it's going to be really frustrating to you. God is not that way. God keeps all of his promises. And the things that he says he is going to do, he will do. And so the things that, when you read about things in scripture that he promises, uh, that he promises is going to happen, it will happen. When he promises Abraham that he will make a great nation out of him, and Abraham's like, I don't even have a kid. How are you going to do that? He promises that his descendants will, will be uh, greater than, than counting the stars, right? That promise is fulfilled. That promise happens. Everything that God promises happens. So, so for, for me, for you, one of God's promises is that Philippians 1, 1.6, one of my favorite verses, maybe my favorite verse in all of Scripture. The first time I ever got, heard God speak to me was through this verse. And it, and it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And what that means is that when you trust in Christ, if you have trusted in him and you put your faith in him, that even if you're screwing things up right now, even if things aren't quite where you want them to be, even if, even if you're not where you want to be, this thing that He started in you when you first trusted in Him, this thing that He began in you when you trusted in Him, He will carry to completion. It will be fully complete. You will be fully who He made you to be when Christ returns. That's the promise, that we are going to be made every, into everything that we were supposed to be before sin came into the world, As a follower of Christ, when I put my trust in him, that's a promise I can bank my life on. That as much as I fall short right now, that if I have put my faith, genuinely put my faith in Christ and the finished work that he had on the cross, the things that he's done, and I put my faith in that, that no matter how many times I screw things up, he's going to make me fully what I was made to be, either either when I die or when Christ comes back, whatever comes first that I will be everything that he made me to be. When Christ comes back, he will restore us all to to the ones that that love him and follow him, to everything that he made us to be. That's a promise in scripture. And if I know that God always keeps his promises, he always fulfills these these, these plans that he has, then I know he's never worried, he's never shaken up, he's never caught off guard, when things, like when we start screwing things up, and his plan was this, and, and we kind of make it more difficult, then he doesn't get worried about that. He's not worried. He's not upset. He's not scrambling because like, oh gosh, I didn't know they were going to do that. He is not worried about those things. He's never caught off guard. He's never running around like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And so that's the guy that we get to come to, that we get to pray to, that we get to lean on is a God who always keeps his promises and whose plans will never be disrupted. The other part of that that I think of is that I can never screw up his plan. As much as I screw up in my life, I can never screw up so badly that his plan will change. I can never screw up so badly that I mess up his plans for for my life and for the world. I I I can't mess it up. So that gives me a lot of freedom to risk a lot more in my life because I know that I can't screw up what he's going to do. It's impossible. Even if I actively tried, it's impossible. I can't screw up his plans. I can't screw up his promises. He's always going to keep them. And if we really trust in him and we really believe that truth that he always keeps his promises, then we get the same peace and the same confidence that he has. Okay, truth number two that I see in, in this the story of Jacob and Esau. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. So even though that I, I, can't, I can't mess up any of the promises that he has for me, I can't mess up any of the plans that he has, I can't screw those up, if I sin and I go against his plan, even though in the end I'll still be okay, like he'll, he'll bring me back around, right? there are still consequences for that sin. And so even, if, even, though, even though I can't screw things up that he's planning, I still have consequences for my sin when I, when I choose to go against him, when I choose to make my own plans instead of following his. When I refuse to trust God, when you refuse to trust God and his plan, we end up with more problems. Bottom line. He has a plan for you. He wants you to walk in that line. He wants you to walk in that straight line. If you do, that's the best plan for your life. But if you go off that line and you go your own way and you think, like, I think I can get there faster if I go this way, there's going to be consequences. He, if you trust in him and you give him your life to him, you will get back on that line and you will eventually keep working your way that direction, right? But if I go my own way for a little while, there's going to be consequences and there's going to be extra problems because of that. So where do I see that in this text? All over the place. Uh, Genesis 25:28. we'll start there. Genesis 25-28 says this, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So like it said in that video, uh, the parents are playing favorites. Each parent has a favorite kid. And this is like, you can tell by the way that it's written that this is openly known amongst their family. Isaac's favorite is Esau, Rebekah's favorite is Jacob. Like, Think about how messed up that is. Like, if you have, have, raise your hand if you have siblings in your house. A lot of people have siblings, right? What if your parents openly said, hey, your sister's my favorite? Dude, that would suck. Some of you are like, that's how it is already, right? Uh, They may not say that, but that's what it is. Uh, These parents made it openly known that they had a favorite between these twins. That's messed up. That's sinful. That causes more problems. I would say that's even the root of a lot of these problems, is this, these parents that are openly having favorites and playing favorites with their kids, I think their sin leads to sin in their kids' lives. Everybody's, everybody has their own choice, right? You can make your own choice about life, even if your parents make stupid choices, you can make your own choice. But I think these parents help lead their children into sin by starting like this, like, Think about it every day. If you, if you had to every day see one of your parents saying and showing her that his or her actions that they think your sibling is better than you, that would crush you. Sadly, I don't think it's beyond reach to think that that actually happens in some of your households. Uh, and, and so, and it may be played down a little bit, and maybe like joking, you know. But if you look at actions and you look at words sometimes even, maybe that's how you feel. And you know what that feels like and that crushes you. That will cause you to have issues, right? So think about how many issues these kids have at the, get, at the start of this because of their parents playing favorites. Genesis 27, we'll skip over there. Genesis 27, this is like, this chapter is all about um, the birthright and how that happens and how Isaac and Rebecca team up and deceive Isaac. Uh, Isaac. So Isaac's old, and he's blind, uh, and he can't see, and he tells Esau, I'm going to give you the blessing. So go kill something like you do. It's hunting season, right? Uh, Kill it, make it, and then bring it back to me. Feed me that food, and then I'll give you the blessing. He's like, I'm going to get a meal out of this before I bless you at least, right? Uh, So that's what he tells Esau to do. Rebecca overhears that, and then she comes up with this plan for her and Jacob to trick Isaac and make him think that Jacob is actually Esau and give him the blessing. So who's taking matters into their own hands in this story from the, from the get-go? Who? Rebecca, right? Because she's saying, no, 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 no. Jacob's my favorite, and I want him to have the blessing, right? Who did God say was going to get the blessing? Who did God say who was going to get the blessing from the very beginning? Jacob, Jacob right? From the very beginning, God said, Jacob is the one who's going to get the blessing. The older is going to serve the younger, right? Who do you think, so he, who did he say that to? Who asked of that? He said that, Rebecca said it, okay? Rebecca asked God, what's going on in my tummy? Why are they fighting like crazy? And he says, the older is going to serve the younger. As a married couple over years and years of time, do you think Esau knew what God said? Yes or no? what you don't think they ever talked about that seriously yes I would say it's not a stretch to say that Esau knew that Jacob was supposed to be the one that gets the blessing but who was who was who is Isaac's favorite Esau was Isaac's favorite okay I'm sorry Isaac knew I, I messed you up that's probably why you said no I think Isaac knew so Isaac and Rebecca are the married couple right I think Isaac knew from the very beginning, because God himself told Rebekah, if God spoke to you, would you, t- would you tell somebody about it? Probably. Would you tell your spouse about it? Most definitely. So, God tells Rebekah that Jacob is supposed to get the blessing. Isaac's favorite kid is Esau. So what, who's the first one in, in the wrong here? Isaac. Even before, even before Rebecca tries to take things into her own hands. Again, if you look in Scripture, lots of different places. Usually, it's a guy not leading properly. It starts with a man not being a man. And in the case here, same thing. Esau wants to do things his own way. He says, "No, I'm going to bless." Uh, or Isaac wants to do things his own way. He says, "I'm going to bless Esau. I like him. He's a hunter. He's a the manly the man. He's the oldest." I don't care what God said, I'm going to bless him. So there's, there's sin in and of itself starting there. And then Rebecca tries to take things into, her own, into her, her own hands and comes up with this plan with Jacob. And she tells Jacob, we're going to trick your dad because he can't see anything anymore. And instead of Jacob like, trying to stop her at all, he just goes along with it. So m- one sin leads to another sin, to another sin, to another sin, to another sin, to another sin. Lies after lies after lies after lies. Even just in the part where they trick Esau, look at, these, look at the lies that happen. One, she makes the food, right? So there's a lie in that. It's not Esau making it. Uh, she gets Esau's clothes so that he, so Jacob will smell like Esau. She gets uh, skins from these animals so that he'll actually feel hairy uh, and puts them on his hands and on his neck. And then Jacob actually goes in front of Esau and says, uh, so this is Genesis 27, uh, verse 18. So he went into, his, into where his father was at and said, my father, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Lie. You're firstborn. I've done as you told me. Lie. Now sit up and eat of my game. Lie. That your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found food so quickly, my son? Here's, get this, this is crazy. So these lies keep building, right? Here's his response. So Isaac calls him out and says, wait, 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 how'd you get that food so fast? Look who he brings into his lie. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Say, what? So not only is he lying, he's saying, "Uh, man, God just provided me this meal so quickly. That is super sketchy. You're bringing God into this lie now, right? Like, man, God blessed me so much. And God's like, are you kidding me? You going to do me like that? And then Isaac says to Jacob, "Please come near." So you can tell Isaac is like, "Man, something's not right." Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt his arm, and and the voice of Jacob's—the voice is Jacob's voice. He said, "But the hands are the hands of Esau." So he knows, like, man, something's not right. So again, another chance for Esau—Esau or for Jacob—to come out and say. Man, I'm lying, and this is all made up, right? Another chance for him to come clean. And he did not recognize it because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau, so he blessed him. So he lets it happen. So Jacob gets the blessing. Sin has consequences. They are sinning right and left. Parents starting by playing favorites, and then uh, the husband by not leading like he should, by going against God's word. The wife, by coming up with her own scheme to try to make things happen and and make it happen by her own means. And then lie after lie after lie. So what are the consequences of those sins, of those lies? This is a really broken family, a messed up family. And we can just read it and it's really easy to just kind of read through it and be like, yeah, this is kind of like a story in the Bible, right? But some of you know what it's like to be in the middle of a broken family. It's not easy. And this may be easy to read through but when there's constantly lies in your family and you can't trust anybody and you're always trying to work for somebody to be proud of you or to love you, that's not, that's broken. Like I said, if your parents played favorites every day and then eventually this, all this causes Esau to want to kill his brother. You may have like said that jokingly, like I want to kill you, uh, like we're so mad at each other, but like he literally wanted to kill him. So again, the promise is that Jacob is going to be the blessed son. He is the blessed son. It still works out that way. But all this hatred, all this anger, all this brokenness was never, ever, ever a part of God's plan. Never. So you need to see those two things. God always keeps his promises no matter what, no matter what we do. But that your sin has consequences. And it makes things way more difficult. And so a lot of people can look at this next verse that we're going to look at. And, and take it as, like, well, because God always keeps his promises, I can kind of do whatever, and he's going to make things right. Uh, and that's not a healthy way to look at this. Oh, I'll wait till we get to that verse, and then we'll go into that. Despite all of our sinfulness and all of our selfishness, there is still hope. So God's going to keep his promises. Sin's going to have consequences. Point number three. Truth number three. God can work all things together for good. So even though we sin, even though we screw things up, God can work all things together for good. Our God is a God who restores. Our God is one who takes the messes that we make and cleans it up. And he can make things right. When people genuinely want to follow him. So in the story of Jacob and Esau, eventually they make up. They eventually make up. They love each other again. Again. Uh, But this whole process was way more painful than it had to be. So I've heard people tell their stories, and you even use this verse, right? That God works all things together for good. That they will tell stories and tell about their broken past and say, like, hey, I wouldn't change anything because this is what God used to make me who I am. I think that's I think that's messed up. I would change a ton of things in my past. Part of my past, part of my story, uh, is I screwed up a ton before, um, I'll give you one aspect of my story. I I had sex before I was married, um, and I screwed up a ton in that area with girlfriends and and things throughout high school and college. And people can look at stuff like that and be like, well, because of those broken things and then God changed your life and then and then you became a believer, like, that's awesome, and that is awesome. And then and, and God has even used that stuff, used those mistakes that I've made to speak to other people now and help them through stuff and bring him more glory in that. That's awesome because this is the God that we serve. He can work all things together for good. But don't hear that statement or read that verse and think that that was his plan for me. It wasn't his plan for me. His plan for me was not to sleep around before I got married. That was not his plan. That was my stupid decisions and my stupid sin that carries consequences into my marriage. If I could change it, I would go back and change it in a heartbeat because of what I've had to walk through with my wife because of that. I would change it in a second. And I do not for one second believe that that is what God's plan was for me. It wasn't. That was my own stupid mistakes And going off of God's path and off of his plan to make my own plan. But he is good enough that when I do that, he can bring me back and he can make those things that are ugly and the worst mistakes of my life that I've made that I would change in a second. And he can bring good out of that. That's about as bad as it gets in my life. The woman that I love the most is the the, the, one that I've hurt the most in my life because of stupid decisions I made early on. And I would change it in a heartbeat because I don't believe for a second that was part of his plan. But he is good enough and he is a God that restores enough that he can take the worst parts of my life, the worst mistakes that I've made, and he can bring good out of that. Do you see the difference from that? That's not, here's my story and this was his plan for me. No, it was not. His plan for you is never sin, never, never. He has a plan for you that is a straight line to him. And if you follow that plan, as hard as it may be, it is a far better plan. But what we do is we keep going that direction maybe even, but then we veer off this direction to the side, and we're like, well, I'm gonna take it this way. And then we end up circling around way longer, way harder, way more pain until we finally obey him again and then get back in line of the plan that he has for us. And that plays out in lots of different ways, right? Lauren meets with lots of college girls, right? And I know she has this conversation with all of them, that they want a husband, and a husband is a good thing to want. And you can stay on this path, and it may be way longer than you want it to be, but like, I think I could make this guy work. Like, he's not quite there, but if I just... Trust me, like, my plan is better, and what ends up happening is you circle longer and longer and longer, and it's a longer, harder process. Is that his plan for you? No. Again, his plan for you is never sin and disobedience. Never. Was his plan for this family to be as dysfunctional as they were? No. They chose that. They chose to take things in their own hands and they made things way more complicated, way more painful than they ever had to be. I think if it was God's plan and they would have obeyed him immediately all the time, they would have been a happy family and Jacob would have still got the blessing and it would have been a a relationship that worked out well still. But they all wanted to go their own ways and make their own plans. So my, my prayer is that you would see how all three of these things work together. That God always keeps his promises. That when we sin, there's real consequences. But that he can work things, all things together for good when we do screw up. But there, there are some conditions for that verse as well. If you look at Romans 8.28, I think we have it for you. If you look at Romans 8.28, it says, He works all things together for good. But here's, here's the two parts of that. Romans 8.28 Romans 8.28 He works all things together for good. First, it says, for those who love God. So that's a a part of this. He works all things together for good for those who love him. So if you don't love him and you don't follow him, don't expect this promise to happen in your life. Don't. It's not owed to you. If you love him and you follow him, he can work all things together for good. And then there's this other part of it that we'd like to kind of keep out of there too. For those who are called according to his purpose. So here's why this verse doesn't mean that if you follow God, he will give you everything that you want. (laughs) That's a really bad interpretation of this verse. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, this is a promise for those that love him, and it's also a promise that it's going to be according to his purpose. We serve a God that has a much bigger perspective than us. A much bigger perspective than us. And so part of the reason we played this game earlier, right, is everybody who has played this game and you're trying to put this puzzle together, you all are given one piece or or just a handful of pieces, right? And everybody's kind of like looking at their piece and seeing like where does my piece fit in here? Uh, And so they they scramble and they try to figure out like, well, if I do this, maybe this will work. And you can only see so much. And at the beginning of this, we didn't even give you like a picture to look at, right? Every puzzle has a picture on the top so you know what it's going to be when everything comes together, right? Well, you take that away and it's... It's way harder when you don't even know what it's going to look like. Then you just kind of have to look at the colors and kind of the shading on this one. But there's lots of colors that are, especially on this, that there's black here at the top and there's black at the bottom. And so if I don't see and I don't have a picture of what it's supposed to look like, it's really hard for me to tell with like one piece or a couple of pieces. And this thing was split into like four different sections, right? Four different teams. And we try to judge by like our little piece what this is going to look like, and we make our, we make our judgments, and sometimes they're way wrong, sometimes they're right, Uh, but when it all comes together, it makes this picture that makes sense, right? You pull any of those pieces apart on their own, even a couple of pieces on their own, and they don't make sense, unless you see, like, where they fit into the bigger picture of things. Well, this is like an illustration for your life, right? You have, you are one piece of the puzzle of humanity, One little tiny piece. I mean, I don't know how big that piece, how many pieces are in that puzzle. Lots and lots. But you are one piece. And a lot of times we judge from our one piece, like, try to judge what God is doing, and we don't even see the big picture. God is the only one who sees the whole puzzle put together, who has the whole picture, and knows where every piece fits, and how every piece is supposed to fit, and, 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 knows exactly which way, like this piece isn't supposed to be that way. You have it upside down. you got to flip it around. He knows all of that. And what he is doing with our lives, with your life and with my life, is he's trying to fit all these things together into this beautiful picture that he's created with humanity. But all of us take our own little piece and we're like, well, I think my piece goes over here. I think my piece goes over here. I think it should be this way, right? And you make your own plans and you do your own things with your own little piece and you judge everything off of that. And God is pleading with us. Pleading with us. Saying, I know the whole picture. I know you don't get it right now. And I know it doesn't feel like your piece is fitting anywhere. But trust me. I know the picture. I know what it's supposed to look like in the end. I know what you're supposed to look like in the end. I know what you're supposed to look like in the end. Next to all the other people I created in the end. And I think about the whole picture and the whole puzzle. All you have is a little piece. So who has the better information to make the decisions? God does. It's not just about our little piece of the puzzle, it's about the entire puzzle. And so there's there's a couple things that I think that we need to trust in that we in order to let God be God. So we should let God be God. That's the kind of the big thing I see in Jacob and Esau and a lot of the Old Testament, so many people are trying to make their own things happen instead of just letting God be God and trusting Him. Here are three areas that I think that we need to trust in Him specifically. One, trust in His timing. God is constantly, constantly calling His people to wait. If you read through Scripture at all, you see time and time again God's calling people to wait. Even in this, you, you might have missed it, uh, if you, even if you've read through this on your own before. It says that at the beginning that Isaac prayed for the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She couldn't have kids. And so he prayed, God, let her have kids. And then, then the next sentence says, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So you can read that, and you can, th- you can just read that one part and say, like, well, he prayed for it, and then they had kids right away. But if you look, it says Isaac was 40 years old. This is verse, nine, or verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be, to be his wife. And then if you flip over to Let's see, verse 26. It says, uh, so his name would be called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So when she actually had the babies, he was 60. When they first got married and they wanted kids, he was 40. Do the math. How many years is that? 20 years of waiting. That's a lot of waiting. I can just read through that really quick and it's no problem for me to read through that. But imagine waiting 20 years for anything. I don't think I like waiting 20 minutes for anything. 20 years he waited and she waited for children. If you look in Scripture, there's story after story. When we talk about Joseph after Thanksgiving, uh, that's the next story we're we're running to. Joseph had to sit in prison for a long time. Because he was disobedient? No, he was obedient to God. And he still had to sit in prison for a real long time until God set him free. God calls his people to wait all the time. All the time. If you try to rush his schedule and you try to make it your own time, usually it makes you wait longer. Trust in his timing. Trust that he knows what he's doing, doing enough that you can trust in his timing. Trust in his timing, trust in his power. Fight the temptation to take matters in your own hands because you're sick of waiting. Your way is never going to be good as good as his. Your way is never going to be as good as his. So, these are the kinds of things that I see happen. Uh, I don't want to wait to have sex, so I'm going to have it now, before I'm married. I'm not just speaking that as an example that I don't know anything about, I'm speaking that as an example that I've lived. And that is a stupid, stupid choice. But why? Why did I choose it? Because I just didn't want to wait. I thought my plan was better. And I guarantee you, it is not at all. I don't want to wait. I don't want to take the time to learn and study and do those things. So I'm just going to take this shortcut. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to uh, force this relationship because I need to feel love. Like, all these things that we don't want to wait for, and we don't want to trust in God's plan for, because we don't think his plan is as good as ours. But I'm going to tell you, his plan is always, always better, even if it's longer even if it seems like it's going to be longer. Because, again, when I make my own choices and I make my own plans, usually it makes things that much longer. So trust in his timing, trust in his power, trust in his ways. He usually goes about things and achieves his plans in ways I wouldn't choose. He fulfills his promises in the ways that he wants to. We should trust that his ways are good even when we don't understand. Because again, he has the whole picture. He knows what he's building. He knows what's supposed to come together. He knows how my my piece of my life is supposed to fit with your piece of your life. He knows it all. And yet we're stupid and arrogant enough to think, my plan's better than yours. I know I only have this little piece, and I know I only know this part of my life, and just my life, Not, not to mention the hundreds of others maybe that you want to interact with me and and happen around me to affect their lives, not just my own. We need to trust in that and who he is. The God who has the full picture, who knows everything, who always keeps his promises and can take all these mistakes that we've made when we try to make our own plans work and he can take those things and he can make good out of them. That's the, that's the God that we serve. Uh, and so as you read through Scripture, as we keep going through the Old Testament, and we see person after person make mistake after mistake, his plans and his promises will still happen. Every single time.